Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony and I'm so excited you're here today. We have a new kind of guest. He is also rather new to the Ashtanga yoga practice. He has a very unique story in that he was first introduced to the idea of practicing Ashtanga yoga through his jujitsu teacher, but uh, then the COVID-19 pandemic took over, and so he had to learn yoga primarily using only online resources, videos, uh, Instagram tutorials, Instagram photos. He's taught himself the names of all the postures, how to practice first series and second series, and practiced only online, never in a classroom until quite recently. His affection for the practice and his love for the practice is infectious. He is a powerful presence on Instagram these days, and many of you will be familiar with Michael Baudu. He has hilarious Instagram reels and has done a great job of showing how Ashtanga yoga can be fun and accessible and making it relatable to people who aren't necessarily steeped in this Ashtanga yoga tradition or this Ashtanga yoga ethos. He's reaching out to people who maybe haven't even thought that they can practice yoga and showing them that anybody can practice and it doesn't have to be a deeply serious endeavor, but that it can change your life and make you feel better, think better, um, and just have better overall relationships with yourself and the people around you. And so I'm so happy to introduce Michael to you today. And this is just a wonderful conversation. It's super uplifting. Uh, There is a small swear word used by myself. So take care if you uh, are not enjoying those swear words. Um, But it's a wonderful, hilarious episode. And I know you're absolutely going to love it. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony. Hi. Harmony Slater. Harmony Slater. <laughs> and I'm here with my co-host. Are you my co-host? I am the co-host. We are very excited today. We have a, a, a special uh, guest for you, um, a phenomenal practitioner, Michael Baidu. Baudu. 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 You both said it right. thank you for having me (laughs) well you're very welcome to have you many of our many of our listeners will probably know you from uh your hilarious tiktok and instagram videos you're known as beijitsu and you know it's interesting for me michael you really represent the the reality of covid19 and we wanted to have you on the show to talk to you about your experience You've, as I understand, you've entirely learned Ashtanga yoga and brilliantly, I might add, uh, through the magic of television. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> you, you said it right. I don't know. Like you read me like a book. Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, you did. You, you learned Ashtanga yoga. You picked it up in the last year. 
uh, during COVID and when you couldn't go to classes and you looked at, you look, you went online and, and you picked it up? Yes, this all happened early in, within, early within the year um, when I got laid off. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, at that time I was an IT manager working at Bloomingdale's. And then I was told, hey, we're all working from home now and that some of us are maybe laid off and some of us may still stay. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately I was one of the few that, that had to leave because their IT center was mainly based in Atlanta, Georgia. So I was, oh. yeah, so there's nothing much you can really do with that part. Yeah. <laughs> so then I was also told from my gym that we weren't going to practice jujitsu at all anymore because for the time being, because of this pandemic. Right. So I, so it kind of took a lot out of me because it was like the hours that I put in, like going to New York, it was pretty much for work. It was for jujitsu. Now I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I felt kind of bummed out also because I didn't have health insurance at all anymore. Because in the U.S., you, will, you mainly get health care when you work within like corporate companies or you're working like W-2 and whatnot. Different from right. Canada, as yes. I understand. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so that was when my sensei had spoke to me and had mentioned about his practice that he, that he does called Ashtanga Yoga and recommend me to practice that as well, too. And, he's, and he has told me that, like, we, we do this in the morning. We'll do this every day. And we'll start off with sun salutations and whatnot. So at first I thought it was kind of like silly because I was thinking myself as, like, as an athlete. I was like, I need to do like strength training. I need to lift weights. I need to do this and that. And then he said, all you need is, is a Shanga yoga. So I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, gonna to trust you on this and I'm going to do it. Went ahead, went in with this process and pretty much brought me to where I am right now, where, where I started to like interact with the community. I started to, to use social media as my way to connect with other people that were also practicing yoga or probably having issues motivating themselves to it, to where, I, to where the community is right now. So thank you for having me and I'm grateful to be here. Oh, that's amazing. What, I'm so curious, what was the first like online yoga class that you participated in? Yes. So my first class was with Ashtanga Yoga New York. Mm -hmm. uh, it was with the, the the main teacher was Guy Donahue. And you're the, joking, really? Yeah, no, that was that was my main Mysore teacher. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, it, it's an honor to, to, to have him. Like it was, it was, it was. He's an amazing teacher, and he told me so much, so so much when I first started. And he was he was entirely he and that was entirely online. Yes. We were doing wow, it online. So it was a challenge for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing because the reason I went to him was in 2000, mm -hmm. the only person that had a website in New York was Guy Donahue. And that's why I ended up at his place and not Eddie's because Eddie didn't have a website. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because so like looking around, you know, I'm just like looking for a place to practice. It's like, I, you know, go through the yellow pages. Like somebody said, oh, you should really practice with Eddie. And I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't find him. So I just I went looking online and like, oh, here's a website. That's Batabi Joyce. I know that guy. Mm -hmm. This must be the right place. And it was Guy. He was because he was the only one with the website. Guy was my sensei's teacher. Oh. He recommended me to, to, take, to take Guy online. Okay. Oh, cool. Was it a Mysore class or a lead class? It was a Mysore class. And then I also took a lead class with his teacher, with his assistant, Jeffrey Villanueva. 
Okay. Okay. Cool. I think I've heard wow. Of and so you did that for like a while. I did that for a while, and then um, I was I was offered by guy to, to take a private with him. Mm. So okay. I took a private, and I used all the money. Uh, pretty much like I was collecting unemployment. I was using my un, my unemployment money to pay for to pay for private hours with guy Donahue, so I can get early understanding. So, right. so so it was giving me sort of like the walkthrough and understanding like the Kriya, understanding Uriada Banda. And understanding like his strict method method of practicing Ashtanga Yoga primary series. And mm-hmm. at first he stopped me at, at Sutta Kramasana and said, I can't go any further than that unless a teacher advises me to. So that was the rule that I followed continually. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I took out a student loan to become his uh, apprentice. So that's how I oh. that's how I did it. I was I was um, living we mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I, I was living in my studio in a closet that um, I was squatting in. And then I just used all of my extra money, mm-hmm. uh, like teaching art classes to to pay for guys' classes. So, was, yeah, I, I know the feeling. But it, it's totally worth it, too. And like, I, <laughs> like my friends, my friends were like, are you stupid? I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, I left my friends. I left some of my friends that I, that I, was, that I used to hang out with because... I noticed as I started practicing with Ashtanga yoga, it made me more open-minded in terms of my future. Mm. And I to look at things different. Because mm-hmm. that's what I'm curious about, like that you you jumped like full bore into the Ashtanga yoga online community. Mm-hmm. What I'm confused about is well, where was the jujitsu online community? Why, why not jump into that and be online in that community? So initially, my my account was was made for jujitsu at first. Mm-hmm. That was, hence the the username Beijitsu. Right. So, and and at first it was it was where I was posting up my tournament like my my tournament results and showing pictures of jujitsu. But when the, the when the pandemic happened, that's when I transitioned and started focusing more on yoga because yoga was the only thing that I can post or that was realistic. So from there, that's when I started within the stories and I posted and I tagged my, my sensei to where we created this accountability system for the both of us to where I was showing him that I was practicing. And then from there, it started to gain more attention from others that were also practicing Ashtanga yoga. Mm. So they were interested and they're like, this sounds pretty cool. Like it's keeping you guys going. I'm, I'm seeing you within your story. It's like every day practicing yoga is inspiring. I would like to join too. So then... I figured, I was like, okay, let's, why not? Like, I'll just tag you in and we'll just, we'll add you into this team. So then this then grew up to where it became like a consistent team where I was like, okay, now it's actually, actually becoming more consistent. It's becoming a routine. And while I'm looking for jobs, as I'm job searching throughout this pandemic, I can focus my mind on brighter things such as Ashtanga Yoga and, and continuing this because this was bringing me joy. And that's why, and that's why I dove into it more because I was feeling happy with, within within this crisis, within this pandemic. Like I didn't want to think about the bad stuff and the media wasn't giving any good news. So yoga was allowing me to think rationally and to not stress myself within this moment because this was this was a lot for me and I don't receive support from my parents. Like I live my life very independently by myself. Mm-hmm. So this was one of those moments where it's like, I really need to focus and I can't just be emotional because being emotional is going to put me through this hole. And I, and I understand how I think. So I knew that it was best for me to get myself into shape where I was mentally prepared and I was mentally healthy so I can think clearly and plan better. Mm. And you found that the yoga was really helping you with that. 
Absolutely. It, it, it taught me so much in the sense that I never really learned how to use Instagram, but I decided to learn how to use social media because of, because of the Ashtanga network. And then from there, it made me, it, it kind of influenced me to help, to help build the community. So mm-hmm. it, like the whole like reels thing started from an accident from where I, I posted up a video of me making a mistake or getting, <laughs> and getting exhausted from doing Garba Pindasa because it was like, I have to do these roles and whatnot. And then from there, you, you then transition into Kukutasana. So, mm-hmm. for, so for me, it was more like, oh man, I still can't get up there. It's exhausting. And then for some re- reason, it just gained a lot of attraction. And it was like, okay, like I didn't know that many people were into yoga, but sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll just keep doing this since people are laughing and people are feeling are feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. Your your reels were so funny. And mm. they really, I mean, I said to Russell, he knows how to use Instagram like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're going to, we're going to bleep that out and probably we're just going to edit it. Um, (laughs) But I can't believe you taught yourself how to do that during the pandemic on top of Ashtanga yoga. (laughs) It it, it almost felt as if like, because was my main focus within Ashtanga yoga was not what yoga could do for me, but it was more of what I could do for the community. And my, and my sensei has always taught me that, like even with jujitsu, even within life, it's not about coming into a community and taking things out, but it's about putting things in and building something from it. So then I noticed that like, it, like I started to grow within followers and it was like, people were, were interested into yoga because they were laughing and feeling good about it. It was changing the perception of what people thought of yoga from the past, from the past incidents. Mm-hmm. So then I told myself and I was like, Mike, like, like you're doing something really big here. Like you're helping people get out of the past from that mental stress that was going on within that whole like joy scene and whatnot. Yeah. So you should continue with this, build a community and give a whole new face to Ashtanga yoga, like to where it's a positive environment where not people are not scared and it's more approachable for others, especially within Westerners, because after doing studies, like I'm a data guy. So I was looking up, noticing that like about 24% of the folks within the United States practices yoga and 7% of them practice Ashtanga and Vinyasa yoga. So I was looking at it and I was like, okay, like, this is, this is a breed that, that needs to grow, that has a lot of potential, but how do we make it happen? And that's by fixing the perception of yoga and by doing this, this PMA, this positive mental attitude, it changes people's perception on, on what Ashtanga is. Mm. Yeah. Can, can you speak more about what, what you'd heard about uh, the, the, the bad energy around Ashtanga yoga? Did you say, uh, do you say the Joyce thing? Is that, did yeah, you mention the Joyce that? scandal? Did you hear that? Did you hear about yeah, that? Yeah. How did you hear about that? What, like well, coming in? Cause you came in just like last year or yeah, I yeah. found that out like, I think like four months in, mm-hmm. but for me, it was more of like, I, I don't relate to that situation because I'm a newcomer. I'm coming from the outside. Mm-hmm. So my main focus was just Ashtanga yoga by itself. But I was hearing it from from like from the rumors and people who were like talking about it through Instagram, because Instagram right. was spewing a lot of like toxic energy on it and like mm-hmm. what it was and what and what's not. And also within my RYT training as well too, like they they had a section just about the the the, the perpetrators of yoga and people who destroyed the industry. So, oh my so from there it was all like I was like oh wow like okay I don't really feel comfortable even being a teacher after seeing all of this like it made it very weird for me so so then it was like all right I'm just gonna focus on just being that influencer and just just helping it grow so then 
as I got there from time to time, that's when I started to see this whole this whole like racism situation that was happening and spilling within Instagram about yoga. And I was to me as like mean, I, do you I, mean I, about uh, like a lack of diverse voices through yes, yoga? Is that what you mean? Yes, yes. Okay. I think that's a better term. Okay. Um, because because I was confused. Because I again I'm coming from the outside world, so I don't know what's going on. And <laughs> And I'm and I'm hearing this, and but but from for me, I'm the kind of person where like I want to sort of see the facts first before before I jump into conclusions or jump into groups. Mm-hmm. So one thing that my sensei and I were like both agreed on was that we're not going to fall into like picking sides and whatnot. Because the only reason why we were in this practice is because we actually like practicing Ashtanga yoga. But like I don't mind connecting and networking with people, but I my focus wasn't to to bring controversy. My, my focus was, was to build things together and to really create harmony <laughs> within, within Ashanga. Yeah, um, beautiful. That seems to be Harmony's job as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we connected on that and have been a part of a few different things. Yeah, yeah and I, I noticed that right away that you really were, um, you know, adding something that was really positive and um, beautiful to the practice and to the community and to the way people would relate to the practice. And it was, um, I think also, like you said, much needed to have a little lighter heart about what you're doing. Cause if, you know, if it's not enjoyable, you're not going to do it for very long. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and, and from there it was, it was, I was noticing that people were, were actually getting interested in trying yoga again. And yeah. then that's where I was like, okay, like, but then again, though, I'm still new. I can't teach these folks. <laughs> like, they're like, like, oh, like, where would I, where can I learn? Where can I learn? But then again, it was like, okay, is there like, is there a mainframe within Ashtanga Yoga? Like, is there like a center? And I noticed that there wasn't. So mm-hmm. this is where I started to notice that like, there's different, there's, there's like different teachers that are also doing sales and all, but there wasn't really like a main contact that I could, that I could help people lead them towards. Mm-hmm. So from there, Eddie Stern was like became like my teacher and then, and then from there he helped me out into understanding that like it was more about having people understand why they're getting into yoga rather than just recruiting people into yoga mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because yoga is a spiritual practice and it's not it's not like a workout system or a program that that I should be that I should be distributing mm. yeah that's interesting I, I think that's um I think that's an important point is it, and I think part of why we like doing this show is we like finding out from people uh, you know, what it is that led them to their, you know, come to Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. I need to do some yoga and, and really try to understand what it is that, that br- brings people to that choice. Yeah. No, from me on the spiritual side is, is that I grew up through a, through a strong Christian family mm-hmm. and, my mom was like very like strictly religious. So in that sense, I I still have that disciplined aspect growing up. Mm-hmm. And once once I split up with my family when I was 18, like mm-hmm. I kind of went on my own. But you I, said you split up with your family. And I I guess uh, I've I on your website you describe yourself as uh Ghanaian American, but you identify very strongly as Ghanaian. Yes, as as an, as a Ghanaian American, um in the sense that I was born in Newark because my my mom and my dad were born in Ghana. They're both they're both born within the villages of Ghana. So mm-hmm. my mom was was born in Kuo, whereas my father was born in Kumasi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, 
so, so then from there, they, they grew up with, with strong traditional roots. And I, that, I'm uh, sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I just wanted to, I, I, I think that I've read that in Ghana, the, the Pentecostal Christian faith is, is the, maybe the strongest religious faith in, in the country. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And so your mother w- w- would identify and she was a part of that strong, strong religious uh, uh, thinking. Yes. Okay. So, so pretty much like she was, she was, she was pretty, she was pretty hardcore with it um, in the sense that she would also buy lotto tickets, stick it in the Bible. And then we're all surrounded, surrounded in a circle of prayer, hoping that that lotto will be the, the winning ticket. for the <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> no wonder I never won any lotteries. <laughs> well, I, I mean, if someone had explained to me what the, you know, how to do it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I would have been on that. <laughs> wow. If that was, I thought I would have done that every day. But, <laughs> but no, but, but pretty much like that was, that was kind of like the lifestyle. Like we're, we're very strict. My mom woke us up within a particular time, like earlier in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. My father reinforced it. From there, we went to school. And from school, we went straight home. We didn't go out, hang out with friends. We didn't have friends. It was very strict. There was no cell phone, no car, no privileges. Mm-hmm. So once once I reached to, eight, to age 18, that's when my, my parents sort of decided that it was time for them to retire. My parents at that time were about 55. Mm-hmm. And I had two older brothers where my older brother decided to move to California with my middle brother. Mm-hmm. So it means that I was going to stay here by myself where I was attending NGIT at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was the big pinnacle moment for myself to where it was like, I need to be really responsible for myself because no one's going to take care of me. I have to learn how to pull student loans for myself. I have to, I, I'm responsible for this house and boarding as well too, for the classes that I'm taking and my career going forward. Because my father only reached up to high school in terms of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, so from there, I didn't, I didn't have a role model anymore. So then from there is where like, okay, I need to figure out role models. And the best way is to, is to communicate and to hang out with people that are older than me. So, so this is where I started to get myself into like meetup groups. I used meetup.com where I discovered psychology groups. And that's where I dove myself into psychology groups in New York, where I started to learn about personality psychology. So I started yeah. to affiliate, uh, I'm sorry. No, I just, I understand the, that you had uh, spent a, you know, a, a long time, maybe a decade looking at like Myers-Briggs and really understanding where, what you're all about. Yes. Because Myers-Briggs really helped me in understanding who I was. And, this, and, and what I mean by who I was, was outside of my parents' image of, of who I was. Because mm-hmm. this was my first time living on my own. So I had to really understand who, who, I, who I am and then be able to understand and communicate with other people. Because my parents didn't, treat, didn't train me for that. So mm-hmm. because they had anxiety from the world, it, it, had, it sort of forced me to sort of learn things on my own. You described it as a as a split. Would you say that it was um, like a, a destructive split or an amicable split? I mean, how 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 would you describe it? It was it was more of a split where they they knew that they weren't able to support us anymore. Okay. So it was more of like we we have to go because because we're tired and our older and our oldest brother is was helped was supporting my parents at the time. But until okay. he found a job in California, he wouldn't be able to support my mom and my dad anymore. I see. Right. So he forced it to that conclusion. Yeah. I, I want to ask you more about the anxiety that your parents may have may yeah. have felt in the world as as immigrants to 
uh, New Jersey. Uh, you mentioned the mid seventies, and I was I was wondering um, about that. I think um, I think it's sixty six in Ghana. Uh, in Krume, who is the the founder of Ghana, uh, I mean, there's talk that the CIA might have helped, uh, you know, plan the coup that overthrew his Pan African, uh, more liberal socialist government. Uh, is is that what? And there was a there was a lot of chaos in the in the following ten years with the 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 military um, dictatorship. Um, is that what they were escaping? Were they, you know, closely aligned with with that Pan Africanism, or or were they just escaping chaos? My parents, from from, from my knowledge with my parents, it was more based off the the situation that was going on with Ghana and Nigeria, and oh. and and because and because of the politics that was going on within Ghana as well. So they were looking for for a better life. They didn't see much of an opportunity. But there were mm-hmm. other Ghanaians that in the United States still be given the opportunity and be able to to do more that they, more than what they can within Ghana. Because within Ghana, there's there's a very high extreme unemployment rate of thirty percent within the males in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. That that makes sense. So it was it was less so that you know they were political. Um, um, what do they call that? Political immigrants when you were escaping refugees, political refugees, and that they were escaping the uh, in looking for better opportunities after in that kind of the the depression of the seventies. No, no, this is mostly mostly because my father was an electrician mm-hmm. in Ghana, so so there wasn't much like electrician jobs available for him. So so then from there he was able to transfer over to the United States, to where he ended up working with PCNG as a meter reader. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Good. Okay, but still, like moving to a new country, a new culture, um, that's that's. It seemed like it sounds like they created a little uh, more insular bubble for themselves and for your family in your house. Yes, pretty much. They they use that as a way for, for them to to help us get a better opportunity, and it's something that they have always told us because because Ghana was very poor. At the mm-hmm. time, it was like sort of like a third world. Like it was really, it was really tough to live over there, mm-hmm. and they noticed that living in the United States it was much easier in terms of finding a job and and be able to create like a basic set of living off the job. So, mm-hmm. so my father, when he first started in the United States, he was working at a recycling center, whereas my mom was working at was working at White Castle at the time. But oh. that's where they evolved and where my father worked, moved them from from the recycling center to P- to PSNG, and my mom ended up becoming home health aid for, for, for a Jewish family. Okay. But okay. yes, I didn't really get to see my mom much because my mom was a stay-at-home mom for right. care of someone else, whereas my father was working like over hours. So then my brothers pretty much were like my parents that mm-hmm. they were yeah. me through because my parents were working enough to make that to make that living for us living in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a television that was who raised me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you really kind of you really had to develop some kind of independence in and in how you were going to raise yourself and how you're going to define yourself and be yourself. Yes, and it's, it's instead of going to the church, you went in a different direction. And this, yeah, this this was my decision because I sort of grew out of the the church and the antics that was happening. Mm-hmm. So. For, um, I, this is where I, I, this is where I moved more with from the idealism and more within pragmatic. Mm-hmm. And it was a sense that I was noticing that there was a lot of scams that were happening within my country as well too, in terms of the profits and whatnot. 
Mm-hmm. So people would people would say that they're a minister or, or a priest and they can cure people within days and whatnot. So my parents being being very devoted to like to the religion, they would they would fall into these games. And oh. it, yeah, and it made me very aware and very, very cautious about about groups such as that, where they were asking for loads of money in return of a better life or better health and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So my parents would end up losing a lot more money in the future because of that. So I always took that in mind when I was looking for like a place of belonging and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so yoga seems like the ideal place for someone like, wait a second. <laughs> so, as long as you don't go to India. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to make light of it, but just that, you know, Harmony and I are, are also um, aware of how much, you know, we've invested in, in yoga and, and absolutely we've, you know, we've um, prospered in our lives from it. But sometimes, you know, we, you know, we wonder, you know, certainly the people around us wondered if we were in a cult. You know, I remember when I gave hmm. the money to to Guy out of my student loans, my mother said, are you, are you in a cult? <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, but it, <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> but it's, you know, there's certainly, there was so much that I was, that I was getting out of it personally that, that it made sense mm-hmm. um, for me to make these choices and to make these commitments to, you know, go to India. Um, but you, but you, I'm sorry to, to bring it, to bring it back to your story. You, you found yourself in a more pragmatic field. You started looking at, at engineering and you started, you went to engineering and I, I guess that made more sense for you. Yes. Because I was, I was very into computers when I was young and mm. this, this all happened for, from my uncle who, who gave us our first computer. And from there, like I, I taught my parents how to use it. And this is where like, I got myself more and becoming more of a technician. So once I got into NGIT, my first major was electrical engineering because I wasn't, I didn't know the majors. I didn't know what, what like these fields were, but I knew that my brother had done electrical engineering. So I was like, okay, I'm going to hop over through his method and see how that goes. But mm-hmm. I only did it for a year. And then that's when I discovered IT. And I was like, oh, IT actually does relate to what I want to do within this, within engineering, but in the IT perspective. Mm-hmm. So, so that's when I made the transition over to IT. So within the scale, like within NGIT, it took me five years because I took the first year within electrical engineering. Right. Okay. But, but then I always told myself that, but for some reason I told myself, because I learned from these meetup groups that people were looking at your resumes and they'll, they'll critique based off the years you took within college and whatnot. So I told myself with when I moved to IT, I need to take internships to where it would show these companies that, hey, like this guy has relevant knowledge within the corporate experience and has an understanding of it. So, so then from there, it was more, I started to focus myself more within, within corporate in the sense that I knew that graduating, I'll be responsible for these student loans. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and you can't dodge it. You can't. That's right. <laughs> yeah. As I learned. <laughs> the hard way. I learned, yeah, I learned that I couldn't, I couldn't dodge it um, at all. I had, I don't know what, what, what you had. I had about a. A uh, hundred grand that I owed. Yeah, no, with, I reached up to sixty. Now I'm down to forty thousand. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. That's good. I um I fled the country thinking that <laughs> might help. Um, so I, <laughs> That's what my father did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I was an economic refugee <laughs> in England and in Taiwan 
And um, so I lived overseas like 10 years. Uh, and um, every once in a while, like in Taiwan, like the desk girls got a call from this, like a, a student, a student loan guy, <laughs> you know, and she didn't know what to say, you know, and, but like the mo- the first day that I got a job in the States, mm-hmm. um, I was working as um, I was working in the recreation department at Stanford. Mm. And I think I got a call from his, um, from a, um, a loan. What do they call those guys that, that hunt you down? Those loan guys. Loan sharks? Well, <laughs> not a shark, an uh, officer. Oh, the guys. <laughs> CIRS. No, no, the guys that, <laughs> that, that, uh, their job is to find yeah, you once you're delinquent on your loans. Um, <laughs> a loan hunter. <laughs> a loan hunter. They, ca- they called within a week of getting my first job. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's, they, it's, you cannot escape, escape it. Yeah, no. The one, they told me like once after the grace period, we're, we're hunting for you pretty much. Like it was like, yeah. <laughs> It is. Yeah, we're gonna get our loan hunters on you. It is hunting. Yeah, it's a hundred percent hunting. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but, but no. Like for me personally, I because I came from 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 the outside, I didn't see Ashtanga as a cult, but instead I saw it more because only in the sense that it was a self practice, and because I was told that it was a self practice, I then confirmed with myself that I don't have to devote going to a center all the time to, to, to prove my well-being or to prove my integrity to the group. Oh. I, can still, I can still be away and practice on my own and learn because this practice was a self-practice where you were building one within. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. an interesting point, actually. But I, I would just, I would argue that that there are, and I think I've given this advice to people <clears throat> that if, you know, very serious practitioners who have phenomenal practices, I've, I've said to them is like, well, you know, going to Mysore, people could see what you're, what you're capable of, which is a, which is a way, which is like a, that's a cultish behavior on my part. You know, like it's about, it's more about what, how you're perceived than what you're getting out of it. Mm. Yes. Which, I love that you said that. <laughs> the re- reason being, and, and this is something that I really thought about in the sense that when I, because I, I obviously I started to I worked through the, the internet and mm-hmm. also going through Instagram as well. So you kind of get that same sense over there. So I told myself, I was like, Mike, when you go to a shower, when you go to your first studio, your first shower, like, you know, they're all going to be looking at like, right. They are. I told myself that. And it gave me more anxiety. <laughs> When I when I went to my first class because I was sweating even more than I normally would. Yeah, yeah, th- but it's true. They are looking at you. <laughs> yeah, they are. Everyone <laughs> is aware of you in the room. Everyone is like, "Oh, who's the new person? Oh my goodness, look at that! Look how look how she wears her shorts." You're like, I think that I think that's Beijitsu. <laughs> I think that might yes. be Beijitsu. <laughs> I've seen him. Yeah, yeah. It's. Yeah, it's it's interesting what happens when I mean you're coming to yoga and it being very much for your self healing for creating um, you know a clear mental space so that you can focus positively on your future uh, to reduce anxiety over not having health insurance uh, <laughs> to give you something to um, focus on you know for creating better health and wellness and uh, immunity in yourself and and then moving into sort of a more spiritual realm 
um, focusing on how it's affecting your, your spirit. And then all of that is so beautiful. And like you said, can be all be cultivated on your own, maybe with a little guidance from teachers or mentors, right? Yes. Um, and it's all really personal and it's really sacred in that way. Um, and then there's this other aspect where it's a little bit of the performance aspect. And for you that showed up on the Instagram or, you know, in a, in a class day or online. Um, but like for others, it might show up in like that, making that trip to Mysore and performing your series in, in front of Sharat or and the a guru other, and a hundred other people. Right. And so then it, how much of it, how much, how do you keep those separate, right? Like this sacred space for yourself, but then also have this the performative aspect. And it's, it's a little bit of a, they, they're at war against each other because the one really starts to detract from the other in a sense. And, and it's interesting. I'm curious how you've been able to, to maintain that sacred space for yourself, despite like having a very, um, prominent online profile i'm i'm glad you said that <laughs> i'm really glad you said that um because for me this this is something that i i started to think myself in terms of like how people should enter yoga and, and whatnot mm-hmm. and and it was and i always retrace back to why why i practice and it's because i wanted long i wanted a long career within jujitsu mm-hmm and I have to look at that as well, too, in the sense that most folks who practice jujitsu for, for over 10 years, they're not able to, they're, they're very immobilized. Like, they're very, like, crunched up. They're, they're, they're not straight. Like, it's almost like MMA fighters after. They don't have any recovery. So because right. of that, they don't care about their body. They just toss their body out and they just, like, waste it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it in the sense that by doing yoga, by keeping my, my, my body healthy, because my sensei did the same thing. And, and I always hear people who always practice yoga that I wish I had done this earlier. And I'm like, Michael, this is this is like hints from the whole world telling you to get started right now and to focus on yourself. Because if you notice, the stories that people tell you aren't about what others thought about them, but it's more about self-reflection. So mm-hmm. then I felt that right there, if, if I was going to come into yoga, it was going to be a lot of self-reflection. And this is where I spoke with, with Guy and Eddie Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was talking with, with Eddie in the sense that I I don't see asanas the way people would see asanas on, on Instagram in terms of like, this is the, this is my level. Another ambulance. <laughs> so I live right by a hospital. It's called St. Mike's. <laughs> <laughs> it's named after you? Yes. It's <laughs> really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Achievement that you could have such a important impact on your community that they would name the hospital after you (laughs) (laughs) no but but like for for me it was more like I saw the asanas as pieces of the stresses that I wanted to tackle within myself Mm -hmm. and and I saw it in that sense because I was I was complaining within myself I wasn't complaining to other people I was complaining to myself like Mike like like I can't believe like right now you don't have a job like you don't have health insurance you're not making you're not making the same six figures like you're not making over six figures like you're making you're collecting unemployment I was really hard on myself Mm-hmm. And within those asanas, as I was going through within my own practice, I was going through that same ridicule and I was tackling it. And I was like, why am I being so hard on myself? And I was like, I just need to breathe and I need to take a step back. I just need to breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. And from there, yoga itself was teaching me how to discipline myself within jujitsu because jujitsu, I compete 
on on on, a, on, a, on an athlete level. Like I go to tournaments and I'm competing for world championships this year. So I was telling myself that to relieve that stress when I'm in the match, to learn that breathing, that breathing is what I was mostly focused on. It wasn't much about going into Michi SMD and posting it to my sensei. My sensei doesn't care. He's more focused on how I'm performing within jiu-jitsu based off the knowledge that I've gotten from yoga. Mm-hmm. So how am I applying it into, into jiu-jitsu? And now my focus now isn't really about performing right now in shalas and whatnot, but it's more of how am I using yoga now to influence folks within jiu-jitsu to actually practice yoga because they're watching your skill set from someone who's 32, who's going at it like he's 25. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. That's interesting. I, I, so I was looking at um, your career a little bit and looking that you'd, you, you said you were at Bloomingdale's. Uh, I, see, I saw that you were at Ted Baker, at Dolce & Gabbana, L'Oreal. Oh, you're so jealous. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was Ted Baker's <laughs> my, my favorite. Uh, actually, I would have, yeah, if I could work at Ted Baker. Um, I wonder, I just, I wanted to, I want to ask you about how you got into to jiu-jitsu, but just to, to segue there, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask if, is it important in IT that if you're in um, the retail aspect that you stay in retail? Is there something about the kind of IT that you do that applies directly to that? Or were you were you just very attracted to those industries? So I, I fell into the industry from a recommendation from a friend. Mm-hmm. So, so the manager at the time was an NJIT alumni. And um, he had asked me, he's like, hey, Michael, um, there's a position open that I'm looking, I'm looking for someone who's in it that knows databases. And I, and I was a database guy within it. You're working a lot within SQL. And my favorite, my favorite like coding language was, was SQL. So mm-hmm. I would use this coding language to pretty much create reports from databases and a majority of retail companies, because they're using like sales and they're always looking for sales reports or looking for people who can upgrade the prices or fix prices and whatnot. Basically the things you see behind the register was the stuff that I was monitoring and controlling and, and processing. Mm. So I was doing a bit of database administration with, within the retail companies. So it, it became very easy for me to transition in the sense that I had the retail knowledge, but as well as the IT experience. So it was easy for me to transfer from, from those companies. So it also made me universal because I understood databases for all for, for like different industries as well too, because they were all using Microsoft databases. I see. You know, we we spoke to a, an engineer from South Korea recently, mm-hmm. and we asked her how did she, you know, did she feel conflicted about engineering versus yoga? And she said, no, they're very much the same thing in her mind. That <laughs> you know, she was just you're putting A into B and make and and then B goes into C, and then that's how yoga is made. Exactly. And it was and so, <laughs> do you feel that as well? You feel that you're your drive for engineering and databases and proper placement, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's aligned right with yoga. It made it easier for me to understand Ashtanga yoga because of that. Because I was very familiar with sequences and flows. Mm-hmm. Within IT, there's a flow chart within everything, like SCLC lifecycle or for project management, the PMBOK. Everything has a, has a starts from A to Z and it's through memorization. So you're always getting deep into understanding complex terms. But what I was learning as well, too, was because I was also not only technical, but I was also on the functional side. Mm-hmm. So you're also learning 
the, the deep aspect, but learning how to communicate it to other people that may not be technical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, that would be helpful to us. I was putting like analogies together. And I was like, if you're able to understand Ashtanga yoga, you'll be able to teach folks within jujitsu. And I, I just kept telling myself that. So I was like, okay, learn as much as you can within Ashtanga yoga. So what I started out with was I would have the sheet right in front of me when I was practicing. And it was like a full flow chart. And I would go over it by the Sanskrit because mm-hmm. I understood from Instagram is what influenced me to understand the Sanskrit first. Mm-hmm. And also, for, and also guy as well too. But it was more because of the Instagram crowd. I was like, okay, if I see an asana, I'm going to know, I'm going to understand it through, through the Sanskrit term before the English term. So I would quiz myself and I would look through the hashtag. And I know from the hashtag, it's going to be a dump of, of different asanas being seen. So I was like, okay, we're only going to focus on primary series asanas, and we're going to call those out as we see it, Michael. So we'll go, we'll, we'll see a pose, and we're like, okay, that, that's, that's Kukutasana, that's Garbapindasana, that's Trikonasana. And from there, it was almost like a mini quiz. So Instagram became this little game for myself where I would, I would use it as a way for me to study, my, to study Sanskrits without being boring to myself. That's so cool. Yeah, that's nice. I've never heard of anyone learning asanas this way. That's nice. Yeah, I mean, how else do you memorize anything? That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Just flashcards. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like the Instagram flashcard system. Yeah. <laughs> so you were working in, in this industry, uh, doing databases for um, fashion houses for, uh, say, 10 years. Yes. And were you doing jujitsu the whole time or was that was that something that that happened recently as well i didn't i wasn't able to join a gym until until 2018 mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i found clockwork 2018 through through a yelp review and what influenced me to go to their gym was that my sensei said in in, in the slogan we were we will remember your name and as silly as it sound i i kind of found it to be like appealing like for some for some reason i was curious i was like all right this guy means if he's saying he's gonna know your name that means he actually wants to get to know you he's a personal yeah. guy mm-hmm. so it influenced me to go to the gym it wasn't much of like the other gyms where it's like oh come get tough with me and whatnot i wasn't really focused on that because my perception of jiu-jitsu was more of like an art style and it was mm-hmm. more of just a way of relieving stress in the sense of putting myself in a fight or flight situation and being able to to calm myself down. Hmm. So I joined the gym, signed up for it. And then from there, he walked me through. It was, I would use it to help me, to help relieve stress that I was going through within work because working in IT can be really stressful. Like it wasn't much of looking at people as my boss and be like, ah, now I get to choke you, ah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But as useful as that might be. As useful, but it's <laughs> really beneficial. But what I would use it for was more of, actually communicating with people and learning how to articulate. So mm. I'm learning these postures and I'm learning not to stress myself because in jujitsu, you, you sort of learn that as you're flowing and you're going through a flow, you actually have a better, a better match than someone who's very anti-aggressive and whatnot. And, te- and jujitsu teaches you that the smaller person can outmatch the bigger person all by being calm and understanding the opponent. Mm. That's such a, I, I did want to know, you know, what it is that, you know, that called you to, to finding something. And it sounds like that, that you were aware of your own personality and you were aware of maybe being a, a high energy person mm. that needed a tool, a technique to calm yourself at, at work. And so that, that's, 
that's what you were drawn to. Yeah, anything that's like stimulating like my mental my mental ability is something mm-hmm. that like I fall in love with. And if it's deep and if it's complex, then it allows me to fall deeper. So if I'm ever stressed about other things, I could always revert to those things to think about. Mm-hmm. You'd probably really like the Enneagram. <laughs> yeah, I'll like the Enneagram as well. So I'm a five, five wing six. Yeah. You're a five wing six. Yep. I I'm, I'm we think we think Russell's a four wing five. Ah. Yeah. That's what people tell me. And I'm a three wing. I don't know if it's a four or a two. <laughs> Probably a two, but I don't I know the numbers, but I don't know too much. <laughs> yeah. But these but these sort of mathematical equations of structuring a person and trying to understand, you know, how they operate in a particular framework, depending, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, and that's how they manifest their number. That would also really appeal to you, Michael, wouldn't it? Yes. I that's what that's what encouraged me to learn Myers Briggs, because Myers Briggs Myers Briggs was the same way, where you're categorized yeah. based off introversion, extroversion how people would collect data through theories or facts, whether their decision-making was based off obje- of like objectives or subjects, and if they're living a routine life or they're living a sporadic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that Myers-Briggs is really interesting too. I love, I love the personality typings. Yeah, you do. Do, do you identify as, as an introvert who has to be extroverted on occasion? I, I find myself to be introverted but but i know that i need to be extroverted in this world in order to in order to reach to the areas that i want to get to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the sense that i learned it from a book that i read from from susan kane um called quiet the power of introverts and mm-hmm. that's where i started to get an understanding on on the united states and the world itself and that they they promote and they they look up to to the to the ideal extrovert mm-hmm. and it's by that person who communicates with the world and from reading that book i learned how how I could communicate with people and also still be the introvert person that I am. And I learned that, okay, within small groups is where I can be most comfortable being an extrovert compared mm-hmm. to a large crowd. Mm-hmm. So it also taught me that if I ever became like an Ashanga yoga teacher, I'm not doing like a large stadium of 300 students. <laughs> I find that to be silly for me because I can't pay attention to everybody at once. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm more of like the introvert where I'll have like probably like ten students and whatnot where I'm able to pay to pay mine to those students through through my store through the like class. That's mm-hmm. that's my focus with an introversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us my store teachers are introverted people. Yeah. <laughs> we get to work with small groups and be quiet and <laughs> work with our hands. I- Say the I, occasional thing. <laughs> that was the great thing for me. What really attracted to me about Guy is that he just wouldn't talk. And yes. I really, like, I really <laughs> liked that. And like that for me, that, that I, I was attracted to that kind of culture and I wanted to teach that way myself. And mm-hmm. I have this picture in my mind of, of Guy sitting there at his desk and someone asking him a question or me answering a question and him just looking up and just nodding. <laughs> and I, then you realize like, oh, he's not going to answer a question. I'm just going to walk away. <laughs> is he still, does he still do that? He's, his persona has, has never changed. And, and that's why I like, that's why I have so much respect for him. Mm-hmm. In, in the sense that when, when I first met him, he didn't talk. He just shook my hand and just nodded his head. Mm-hmm. And from there, I just assumed that, okay, this is what he's trying to say, Mike. We're doing charades with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just told myself, and I was like, no, Mike, 
use this as a perception of he's like that Asian kung fu master. Mm-hmm. And you're that kid who yeah. came to the dojo. Yeah, he's the me- he walks the earth. <laughs> he walks yeah. the land. Yeah. And if you're able to make him smile, you've done something. Right. <laughs> so yeah. that was my focus. So whenever I practiced around him, like I would always, for some reason, I would go extra for some reason. And then when mm-hmm. I saw him smile, I'm like, yes, Michael. Like nothing matters anymore. Instagram doesn't matter. No one matters. You made guys smile for the day. That's all that counts. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And that was my mission. Yeah. That yeah. So cool. That's fantastic. But, but I love but I love teachers like that because it 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 gave me it, he sort of gave me that the dialectal behavior theory of the therapy style where it was more of like Mike this is good but you can do better. Mm-hmm. And it always left me with that mentality. And it wasn't where like it was abusive and whatnot, but it was very encouraging and it was very empowering. And where where it grew my practice like tremendously because it was like I'm doing all this just to make guys smile. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. I, like, I can make everyone else, I can impress everyone else, but if it's not an impressing guy, then I haven't done enough for myself. Mm-hmm. And I was using that. But then as time went by, I started to, to use that for myself. And I was like, Mike, look at what you've done. Like you created such a high limit and reached close to it. And yet you still think that you're still at the bottom yet in reality, you made it farther than, than what you thought you could. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's helpful to have a sequence of postures that's always the same so that yeah. you have a, a baseline that you can watch your progress. Yeah, and, and that's what I love about it. Like, Ashtanga yoga keeps the same practice. And, and so I don't have to switch on Monday, legs days, Tuesdays, arms and whatnot. Like, I'm able to see deeper because I'm able to focus on this, on my thoughts. I'm able to focus on myself, my spirit, my well-being. What am mm-hmm. I about what am I like like what's bothering me what why is it bothering me it's almost like I'm going through like this whole therapy within myself as I'm as I'm going through the practice and I'm not stressing because the drishti and the breathing is is keeping me calm and relaxed so Mm -hmm. then I'm like okay if I'm facing anything in real life where where it may be stressful I just need to revert back to the asanas that I was breathing like earlier this morning where I was totally calm Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's beautiful it is and I'm I'm still interested in this in this moment when you're you were talking about competitively um uh, I guess it's fighting. Yes. Com- yeah, competitively <laughs> competitively <laughs> fighting in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and trying to find the space of flow uh and a space of calm and how people um who can who can master that um are more superior fighters I, I think is what you said ashtanga yoga has definitely made a huge impact within jiu-jitsu in that sense in the sense that now like even my sensei sees it i've been a lot calmer within, mm-hmm. within my sparring rounds like i feel like there's not much need to do more than than i have to anymore because now that i've understood the body through yoga and like from from the online teaching and i think the online teaching really helped in the sense that i needed to learn the anatomy because communication was going to be our way of understanding my body and how and how they were going to communicate to my body. So I need to know where my hips were. Um, I need to know where my scapula was, where the lumbar is of this, and, and understanding all that. So so from there, it's like, okay, now I'm understanding more about my body. Now I'm able to, to apply that jujitsu because now I can't create this ideal thing that someone's going to beat me up. I know their body and I know how far their body can go. And I know most people can't perform a lotus. So in certain situations, I'm putting them in a situation where 
they can't move or they're immobile because I've held their hips in a certain way where they're immobilized. So now I'm understanding uh-huh. their limbs and their functions and whatnot. So Ashtanga Yoga, by learning my body and learning my capabilities, I'm understanding my opponent's capabilities and their bodies as well, too. That's amazing. I, I wonder if you could help us and help some of our listeners at home yes. understand what Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, how, and is it, and how, or is it different from Japanese uh, jiu-jitsu, if I'm pronouncing that right? Yes, totally. Um, it was Gracie jiu-jitsu, and the, it, was, it all started for, from, from the Gracie family that had taken Jap- Japanese jiu-jitsu and mm-hmm. inherited it over to Brazil to where they po- where it became popular. So at the time, that's where it grew up to become Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And then the Gracies had then moved over to California through, through this MMA event called UFC. And from oh. there, it was popularized. And that's when jiu-jitsu became popular within the US. UFC fighting is jiu-jitsu fighting. It's almost, it was, it, UFC fighting is a mix of different martial arts. Oh, okay. Whereas jiu-jitsu is non-striking. You're not striking the opponent. So you said, no way are you kicking and whatnot. This is all using grappling. And this was all used because at the time of Japan, when, when the villagers didn't have weapons, they would use jiu-jitsu to hold and control their opponents as they didn't have any, any tools or weapons. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a very, so it's non-strike. Mm-hmm. So because of that, it's also the most advanced style of martial arts because you're learning how to how to control your opponent without without striking them. Right. And that then makes sense why understanding, uh, say, hip rotation and, and how much mobility your opponent has, then you can understand how to control your opponent. Yes, I almost feel like I'm an adjuster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Full on. Yeah, exactly. Quite quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You it's it's a funny thing. It's um you you can uh you start to like when you're just walking through an airport or you're in public mm-hmm. and you're just sitting there like you know waiting for a flight or waiting for the next thing. It, it becomes a force of habit where you look around and you, you can see exactly what someone can do with their spine or can't do. You can, you can look at the fluidity of someone's body. You can see, um, you know, how muscle bound they are or not, or, or, you know, you can see injuries in their gait. These things all become apparent actually. And it's, it's, it's a little bit like x-ray vision at times. It's impressive you said that because Guy noticed that from me. Initially, he noticed mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to be able to do Triang Mukhi Kapada Pachimotanasana because he looked at my feet. Mm, yeah. And he knows that my feet was pointing outwards. Yeah. And then he told me that every morning, walk my feet straight because yeah. he noticed that my, my knees are, are, are off. And I looked at him, I was, I was like, I was like you're, you're kind of weird here. Like, <laughs> yeah. you've never seen yeah. me before. I'm an athlete. How could you tell me that I can't do something because... Because you're looking at my feet that's been outwards. Like people's feet are outwards. Everyone's feet's outwards. <laughs> if, if they're outwards, then the hip rotation is naturally out. But trikonasana, I mean, uh, teriyang is naturally in. Yeah. So it's the opposite. Yeah. And then from there, I was like, guy, I'm going to zip my mouth. <laughs> all ears, whatever you say, I will listen. Yeah. <laughs> my body more than I did. And the moment right. and that to me was impressive. And that habit of always having your feet out is why uh, Padmasana or the lotus position is a little bit easier for you. Yes, yes. And then he also uh, told me you, you, yeah. you 
things as well too, such as moving the calf flush as well too, when entering and, and having the, the heel touch the belly button. And I would have known this because I would normally do Lotus before as a kid and I'll play around with it, but I didn't know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was putting left yeah. foot, foot, foot first and I wasn't putting sure. in correctly. But yeah. the guy was teaching me the right method. And then from there it was like, oh, okay. Like this is how I could do it safely without, without screwing my knees or blowing my knees up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can I can I tell you one of the most embarrassing things that ever happened to me? <laughs> sure. Would you like to hear this? Yes. Um, Sorry for the sounds. This is I got the I got this is how I got the nickname Rusty the Racist. <laughs> oh my um so I'm in I'm teaching yoga in Oxford and um I someone asked me this question, why do you do the right foot first? And instead of the left foot first. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, I didn't really answer the question technically because there's no, it's, 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 there's no rational reason why. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a force of cultural habit, you know. And so uh, I knew that in India they, call, they called it white lotus versus black lotus. Black lotus is left foot first, white lotus is right foot first. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Somebody and so somebody said, "Well, you know, it it seems like uh, just as they said, it seems um, white centric. Uh, white centric. It right seems centric. <laughs> yes, it seems white and right centric. <laughs> it seems both those things. Um, it seems like uh, it's just um, what not irrational, but uh, uh, arbitrary. arbitrary. It just seems arbitrary." And I said, "Well." Yeah, sure. And I said, well, I want to do the left foot first. I feel like I should do the left foot first every once in a while. And uh, and I said, well, yeah, go ahead and go, you know, worship your black god. <laughs> <laughs> and every there's like the room just went really quiet for a moment. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that may not have been the best thing to say. And uh, there's a there's a guy in the room, Tim, who's African English. Um, and Tim said, "Not that there's, there's not that there's anything wrong with that." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> fuck! <laughs> this is the worst experience of my life right now." Okay. Oh, yeah, and that that um that nickname stuck for a while. <laughs> I was, Come on. <laughs> so just to say for the people listening at home that there's it's you don't have to do the right foot first. But if you're but if you're in India, you should do the right <laughs> foot first. <laughs> you know what's funny? So in the book, there was a book that I like I purchased um, from Gregor Mao. Um mm. oh, yeah. yeah. And talking about the right foot first, supposedly like it cleans up, it cleans like the spleen. Yeah, that it's supposed to put, the heels are supposed to push into your spleen and your yeah. liver. That's bullshit. And, and like the left side Whatever. does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> like, like, the, the, book, like the left side does nothing, period. That's but it. you know, I think it really comes from this. In in Buddhism, mm-hmm. uh the enlightened um you know, the pictures of Buddha are always left foot first, then right foot. And that was done. Um, in my understanding, perhaps there's Buddhist scholars listening that have a different understanding, but what I was taught was that that was done as a reaction 
to this tradition in India of the right foot first, then the left foot, because also in India, the right is like the side that you do all of your holy acts with. It's the side of the body. You know, you eat with your right hand, you worship God with your right hand, everything is very right centric. My mom yes. is the same way. My, my mom, like, because I'm, I'm actually born a lefty. I was actually left-handed. Oh, really? Oh. Me. Like, I want yeah. a lot of a lot of discipline to go yeah. right. <laughs> that's that's yeah, that's, that's old school. Because yeah. sinister is Latin for left. Yeah, it's it's mm. the demon hand. Yeah, it's very yeah. like it's like an ancient sort of uh, prejudice. I guess it's an ancient bigotry. Yes, again, <laughs> I think my parents like feared it really bad, and then they noticed I was a lefty, and they're like, "No, you're going right." Yeah, <laughs> right. Everything I to the right when I was like age five. And wow. Then, oh. play, like pool, this pool was the only thing that I played it because I had like a little toy of it. But mm-hmm. I still play as a left, as a lefty. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's the only relevant thing I have as a left-hander. Wow. That's that's amazing. My brother is also left-handed, but my mother grew up in a school where all the left-handed people were forced to use the right hand. learn with their right hand as well. Yeah, and no, she society. was yeah. She was not that way. She yeah. let him stay left-handed. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're not diverse for the for the left-handed folks. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but so there's this ancient like I don't know. I think it must be cross-cultural. I don't. Who knows where it came from? Well, I, 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 I probably I probably would probably jump to the left instead of jumping to the right before trichinostomy. Right yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, you should. You should totally do that. And I always, I always kind of thought it was, you know, it was irritating, you know, you should just, you should, you know, use the left foot first every once in a while, like Iyengar would talk about that, you know, you should be balanced. And then I started teaching in a Mysore room. And I, and I, then I like, it suddenly made total sense why you'd want everybody doing exactly the same thing jumping the same way going to the right foot first because you have no idea what's going on in there if if it people go to the left first or if or if half the room is turned the other way i see that it's chaos at that point it's like oh i can't i can't deal with this this is too confusing and if it's complicated you know people don't like that so they (laughs) They don't want to make, you know, left-handed well, chairs for people. <laughs> so they're the going to... They're very strict about, about everything being passed down through words because they want to keep it simple. Yeah. yeah. Make it easier to understand for the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to get back to your to your beautiful lotus. Did, so <laughs> did um, did you sit on the ground a lot? Did you... Is that something that happens in Ghana? Know how you got the hips Did, open? So because much. in Korea, you know, people sit on the ground to eat, and that's how they get beautifully open hips. Is, is, is that something that you did growing up? Very, very silly. You're gonna really think I'm silly for this, but it, you had Nintendo. That's no, why. You know, because we had the chairs at the office, oh, the, the, the wheelie chairs, mm-hmm. yeah. and I'd always put my my foot, my my leg, my leg over, and I'll have it in like a fire in like a fire log position always. Right. Yeah, because okay. one because one thigh would get sore, so then I'll move it as a way to relieve the the soreness from the thigh from sitting in the office for eight hours. Right. Yeah. So all of this, I didn't know that it was opening my hips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just sitting at my desk doing that, and the guy was like, "Okay, that's why you're able to do it on one side instead of the other." Right. So then wow. we had to work on adjusting it as we developed. So, so then from there, that's when he had he had advised, and I was talking to him about that. I did Bikram before prior yeah. so 
I was going to use the same tactics that I used in Bikram. And he's like, everything that you learned from Bikram, just move it over to Ashtanga because you already know it already. And I was like, right. Right. So okay. I'm going to keep the temperature within like 90 degrees, 95. Yeah. Drink the water so I'm hydrated before practice. Go through the practice because it's relevant to, to Bikram because Bikram is almost like an hour, hour or two. So it was easier for me to use this heat and then imagine as if I'm in the same Bikram class that I was at before. Right. So Bikram, I got into during when I was at Ted Baker. This was about like five years ago. And this was happening because I my HR, my HR resource was noticing that I was going through a lot of stress because I was handling the roles for two people in IT. Mm -hmm. And she offered me a free class, like a free month of Bikram yoga. And this was the first time going to like my first like yoga studio for, for Bikram, not, not a Shanga. Mm -hmm. So I went through the first class. Like I didn't know what I was, what I was doing. Like I wasn't really like welcome. It was more of like, go find a seat and like, <laughs> get yourself started and whatnot. So I was like, all right. Like I was super nervous because of that. And like my anxiety was going up, but then I told myself, it's like, I'm just going to sit in the back because, because I don't want to look like a fool. So I'm going to sit in the back and then look at what they're doing and then study the sequence because there's a sequence as well too. So this is where I got the early understanding that Ashtanga Yoga was going to be the same way. Right. Interesting. Because I, 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 I saw a, a TikTok of, of yours. Um, uh, I asked, that's why I was asking about the hips. Because well, I'm going to have to back up. But I, I was just, all of this, all of this um, development in your hips was all through the office and, and not actually something that you, you picked up at home. It was, uh, though you said you did used to do... Um, lotus as, as a kid just playing around with it yeah because i had it i had it earlier as a kid because i was wrestling in high school okay mm. okay yeah okay. i wrestled so i wrestled with elizabeth high school but yeah. it wasn't much of like it wasn't like jujitsu and whatnot it was like okay like my parents finally allowed me to do like one sport for one year and whatnot so okay. i went ahead and i did that so like so i gained flexibility and you'll notice that like a lot of wrestlers are very flexible and they gain right. a lot of flexibility from wrestling as well too yeah yeah, it helps with the with the wrestling, I think, yeah. to be really flexible, right? Yeah. So then going to jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu really opened it even more because, again, people are opening your hips. They're, they're manipulating your limbs and your body constantly in jiu-jitsu. And you're mm -hmm. doing this with extreme weather, extreme heat as well, too. So not knowing this guy was like, all right, you're doing a good job. Just keep that same heat, that same perception of yoga, which, which you'll get sore in jiu-jitsu. The same, the same soreness relates to yoga as well, too. So that was the mm -hmm. mentality I told myself when I was doing a shanka. So I was like, all right. When I practice strongly, if I get sore, it's just like jujitsu soreness. Just keep doing it next day and just keep doing it. Just keep doing it and it'll go away. Okay. Did you know did you notice that you got really sore the first yeah. like few weeks? That hated me for a week. Yeah, <laughs> because of the stretch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I because I, I saw this video of you doing Karandavasana and it was fascinating. And I think all of our listeners know what that pose is, the Himalayan wild duck pose, where you're on your forearms, going to lotus. Bring your knees down to your to your triceps. Bring them back up. It's, I think, of the thousands of listeners that we have, you know, maybe three of them can do it. Wow. And it's it's incredible. Did you teach yourself how to do that, or did Guy walk you through it? Guy didn't walk me through it. I learned that one myself. Yeah, I, I kind of applied the things that I've learned from Guy and as well as Jeff, and mm -hmm. into, into Karanda. So, so I started out first with. Arsva Kukutanasana first. Yeah. And that's where I learned from Jeff that I need to inhale. And my inhales, I really need to understand my inhales as I was going up and as yeah. I was going down 
I act, I control my exhales. Exactly. So, so then I started first with Sursasana just to be safe. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was just focusing on just getting myself into Lotus, folding it, and then inhaling when I was ever lifting back up. So it was like muscle memory. Right. And then I would go through those trials and runs by understanding pinch up next. I was like, all right, now I have to understand holding myself into pinch up because pinch is another thing. So yeah. it was breaking the two together. So it was like one of it, calm down, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> one of it was controlling the lotus through susasana. And then the other one was just controlling my, my balance within pincha and then finally putting them together. Yeah. Mm. It's amazing because it's 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 really a phenomenal achievement to to do it, to have taught it you know taught yourself how to do it and there was just there's i had so many questions and i was like how how did this happen and <laughs> <laughs> guy did help me he helped me with marie and d okay that, that that he helped me out with and from their understanding that and from him telling me when to inhale when to exhale because it was very because i really learned the pranayama and, and from understanding the breathing as well helped me through understanding the jump throughs because jump throughs is understanding inhales and exhales as well too to mm-hmm. be able to hold yourself and to go through the legs and to do the l sit sit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 i could see that watching you do your vinyasas you you reminded me a lot of of sharat actually um both of you uh are have a lot of uh muscle density and you have a shorter torso with longer limbs yes. and so as i as i watched you jump through there was a very similar way of moving your body given the constraints of your proportions to Sharad. I said, oh, this is interesting. This guy has a lot in common with him. Well, I guess Sharad should try jiu-jitsu as well, too. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd really like it. Um, I, I wonder how your, how your backbend is, or maybe uh, we never really, we never really kind of explored people's practices like this, but I'm just, I'm just interested. I'm open. Um, I can, I can't do dropbacks. I can't do TikToks. I okay. sort of, I can do Setu. I can do Urdhva I can perform Kapo, um, Ustrasana. Lago, I'm still working on coming up from it. But, okay. Yeah, but mostly with the back, I don't have that much back flexibility. But okay. I know from the books that it's like, like emotional, like, uh, like a lot yeah. of emotional. So I'm, I'm guessing like I got to cry more. Yeah. <laughs> You're, there's a lot of, I learned it in guys class and it was, um, it was so much about exploring the depths of, of my own personal fear mm. and what I, what I was so totally afraid of that I had turned my body into like a little, little turtle or like a jackrabbit, like a little rounded, please don't hurt me body. Mm. And guy ripped all of that open. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to that experience for you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I couldn't sleep. I could barely sleep. I was so terrified of waking up. Because that's the last thing I would I wanted to do was have to wake up and do and do backbends with Guy. That I would <laughs> I would actually I put off going to bed because I knew that the moment I went to sleep I'd have to open my eyes again. <laughs> back backbends backbends are are a killer. I, I Guy assigned me like some tools to do for for, for dropbacks. Really? And I kind of stopped because like because it, it would hurt for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it can't normal. 
you can't be a normal human being because because you've done drop backs for the morning. So I was like, nah, I don't really need drop backs. I, was, I just kept telling myself, like, what do I really, really need? And I just told myself, I just really need to do primary series and probably like five years down the line, second series full, like intermediate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm not in no way, no rush. And I felt like Instagram and the community and like the, the people around Instagram, like my followers were sort of like encouraging me to keep pushing myself more and more and more. Mm-hmm. But, then, but then I kept telling myself, I was like, Mike, in reality, you probably should have stopped that super Kermasa. Yeah. 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 So 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 that's where I kind of felt I kind of felt guilty in myself. And because I knew the tradition, I knew that I skipped skipped steps. And I spoke to Eddie Stern about this. I was like, I kind of felt bad being in an intermediate class. I feel like I don't belong here. I feel like this is totally unfair for other people. And Mm. I feel like it may raise some flags and whatnot. And he he, he told me that as long as he's the one that's that's administrating it and he's he's allowing me to do it, that's totally fine because he works with Guy Donahue. And if guy gives you okay with it, and guy was like, pretty much, if, if Eddie says yes, then I say yes too, kind of thing. So I was like, all right. Uh, yeah. So I guess I'm giving the approval. So I'll, I'll do this. But in no way do I practice any asana outside of my practice. Like, you won't find me doing, like, like not crossing them. Like, you'll find me, like, in a photo doing not crossing them, but it's not something I do every day. I'm right. Not, Eddie Stern walks me through. Like, I don't do second series unless I'm with a teacher. Yeah. And that's exactly what we all do. We all screw around with all kinds of imposters. And then when we're in class, we kind of button it down for yeah. the orthodoxy. Totally. <laughs> what, what was that like going into a class for the first time? Because I saw an Instagram that you did recently um, about, about the first time you walked in. And I guess things are maybe opening up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and I think you talked about what this, class was it? the sound of the Ashtanga yoga room, the mm. sound of the Mysore room. Like, what did it, that must have been really different for you. It, it was very different in the sense that it was my first time going to, to an Ashtanga yoga shop. And it was like, it was like it was actually like attending an actual class. And just going over there, like I was walking through the stairs and you could, you could hear the breath. So right. then I was like, Mike, it's like a library. You just gotta be quiet. So I was even like walking, like on my tippy toes, going through the stairs, and the stairs was like making creaky sounds. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, Mike, you're making too many sounds. You gotta stop with it because you're interrupting it. And I, just, I didn't want to interrupt it at all. Like it was almost as if like it's like it's like you just saw like a butterfly like resting on a flower, and it's so beautiful. And you don't want to touch it by 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 getting close to it. So I yeah. stood like super far from the room. And I just waved my hand until the teacher looked at me. That was, that was my way of communication. Like, I'm the straight master. Like, I'm almost about. That's fantastic. But I didn't, I never wanted to interrupt the class. So I waited for him to come. He whispers. I was like, all right, that's the tone so that, that I'll follow. So he's whispering. I'm whispering back. He tells me, like, go get ready. Or, like, what would I, what would I like to do today? And I, was, I told him that I'm prepared to do primary series and a little bit up to capo. And he mm-hmm. said, oh, he gave me the okay with it. And I was like, all right, thank you. So then I brought my hat. He told me where to sit. And I was, and then once I got into the room, it was like, there's way too many people that I didn't know last year. Like now I have to know new people. Like I felt, I felt nervous. Yeah. And that was, that was my face, which I put into the reel because I was like, no, none of these people I have known before. I'm entering into a whole new crowd. I'm not at home anymore. And I'm practicing at a shala. So it yeah. was a lot. So it is a lot. It's it's like people can look through your skin. Yes. That's how that's how vulnerable it is to walk into a mice room. Yes. And, and and I and I felt 
I didn't feel like I was being judged, but I just, I was just telling myself that like, Mike, they're all watching right now. If you <laughs> one Arsenal, you're going to be the talk of the week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially since I'm new, I got to be sure of what I'm doing. So I set up the mat. I did my opening mantra. And I was like, once, once I set up my opening mantra, I just like zoned everyone out from the world. Mm-hmm. It was almost as if like everybody was gone. Mm-hmm. I focused on my breathing and I went with it. Boom. And then from there, it was only until like the, the, the teacher would come in and, and assist me. This is when I got my first adjustment in class. It was during Pachimotanasana. And I was like, okay, I'm understanding it now. Like I'm understanding why he's doing it. He's not just doing it just to just be there, but he sees the area where I need the accessibility in. And this is mm-hmm. where I started understanding how the adjustment works and why he's adjusting me. Mm-hmm. So in Pachimotanasana, I would lift my head up because I would, I was, I would think as if, I have it like others where they have their, where they're able to have their arm around their feet. Mm-hmm. So then he walked me through and he said that unless you're able to get the, the chin into the knee, keep your head down. Yeah. And the reason for him adjusting is to elongate the spine. So then I can move myself further to, to have a better grasp of my feet during Pachimotanasana C. Yeah. So I was like, okay, no, I was like, thank you. And, and I would, and the thing about me is that I'm always like thankful and I'll talk a lot. So I was like, oh, thank you, teacher. And he'll be like, just focus on the practice. I was like, oh, thank you. And, I, and then if he says anything, I'm like, oh, understood. Thank you. Because I'm because my parents raised me this way. So, so I'm always like respectful. But, but then at the same time, I'm like, I need to focus back on practice. But I need to say thank you as well, too. So I'm com- complicating myself. But overall, mm-hmm. it was the best experience. I think I should have came in with a with a with a with like two towels instead because I <laughs> created a was waterfall. It, this was Eddie's class that you walked into? No, no, this was with, with Mike GGL. Okay. Okay. Uh, um his, his studio is is cooler project. It's right by Eddie Stern. It's close by Eddie okay. Stern. Yeah. Okay. So, this um, is uh I know Michael uh he's was Kimberly Flynn's student. Oh yeah, that's right. I know Michael. Hi Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Michael and Michael. Wow. Yeah, no, uh, that's what I always say. I was like, Mike and Mike in the morning. Yeah, Mike and Mike in the morning. <laughs> that's, that's so good. Like, what I also enjoy about Mike <laughs> is that, like, he would always, he would mention stories as well, too, during, during, during like, the class about, about the animal terms and why, why certain, like, certain animals were named within asanas. Like, for example, he was mentioning about Myrasana, the, the peacock, and how the mm-hmm. peacock collects poisons to create the colors that it makes with, within within mm. its fabrics and whatnot. So yeah. I, was like, I was like, wow, and I understand this. So he's like, when we press the elbows in, it's almost as if like we're, we're pressing into our intestines, the stomach, where where the poison would, where the where the animal would happen. Like, I didn't listen to it fully because I was still breathing, but I was yeah. like, this is so interesting. I want to listen to it. That's the same time I was out to practice, but this is allowing me to learn more about it because it's fun. Now I'm understanding why it's called these asses. Like, why is it called these animal names and whatnot? So yeah. I told myself, yeah. Once a week, I'll just come by, visit, visit, visit the shala. And, but I still want to practice at home. And I still want to have that online teaching with Eddie Stern. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to change my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. 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 Interesting. Um, yeah, there's also this notion uh, that the peacock uh, can digest anything. They eat anything, digest anything. And so you know, you're, you're turning yourself into this bird that can... Uh, digest anything as well because the, the elbows are you know pressing into the digestion yes there's also that that element but it's um sorry to be pedantic but um no, 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 thank you. No, 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 no. <laughs> what was what was it like to 
walk into the room, the the smell. Was there a smell in the room? Because <laughs> honestly, I wasn't thinking about the smell at all. Oh wow, it was, it was more humid. Like I could sense, I could sense the humidity. Yeah, but I was more focused on I'm here, like okay. I'm at a shala. Like yeah. I didn't really care about like the breath or anything. Like it was more of like I'm here, Mike. You're in the big stage. Like give it your all and make it the best. Mm-hmm. That's all I told mm-hmm. myself. Did you find that you had like more energy or more um oomph in your practice? Yeah, oomph in your practice, exactly. Okay. So the oomph came in when we when he gathered us around for 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 opening mantra. Mm-hmm. And when I was in it, it it was like I kind I understood why people miss the studio experience. Mm-hmm. During the panel, I, I didn't understand when 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 Dave Swenson was mentioning that he missed like the, the whole gathering. And I was like, I was like, what is it about the shower that you guys miss so much? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. But, but then once that opening mantra came in and then that ohm came in, it felt like nothing. You couldn't hear nothing but just, but just the sound of the studio. Like, like every every outside noise didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Every thought in the world didn't exist. All you could think about was that moment in that present moment as we're all saying the mantra together and it resuming back to our practice for some reason it was it just felt like it wasn't just my energy more, anymore practicing but it was using the energy of the of the folks that were also practicing as well so with me so it was like a combined energy that were all working with each other to help continue our practice within that mindset experience mm-hmm. that's so interesting i i think for so many of our listeners and, and for, we'd really feel like we're stepping back into our first class and we're, and we're looking nostalgically back at what it was like to, to be fascinated and, and ex, ex, so excited about this practice from the, from our very first day. Mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating to talk to someone who can articulate so eloquently what the experience is like and and you've you're really examining everything about the practice in in such an incredibly perceptive way it's it's really fantastic to talk to you about it no thank you thank you this is uh, for me i i wanted to make sure that this was something that i wanted to do and it was something that really brought me joy because it brought me joy for a year so for me it was more of like okay now i'm now i'm going to experience what everyone else is experiencing and that was and that was the perception that I that I had coming into it. So it was like very meaningful. That's why I was like, I need to take a picture of this. Like, but I didn't want to take a video of it and whatnot because I knew. I to me, it was that much of respect that I had that I didn't want to just take my my experience, but I wanted to just take a picture of this of of the studio of of the of the teacher and mm-hmm. of Mike because it was just being at that place. It just felt different. That's why I told myself, I was like, I gotta be, I gotta come here. And my sensei was like, I'm doing the same thing too. So we're both doing it together. So now, now we meet each other at, at like jujitsu in the gym. We're like, what are you doing this week? Oh, I'm going to visit the shala. Oh, what are you? Okay. Yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll tag along. So now we're, we're like, it's our lifestyle now. That's so great. And it's so nice to have like an accountability partner. Yes. It's helpful. Yeah. That's hard because you yeah. know, then you don't have to, you could always have feedback or someone to, to communicate if there's any controversy that comes along within your practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really... I think that's what that's what may affect people from, from continuing it. and the retention behind the shtanga is that there is there may not be feedback for other people to talk to or someone to talk to if they're feeling those doubts of walking away or whatnot. Because mm-hmm. I was able to address it to my sensei and say, hey, you know what? Like 
I haven't been feeling it for a week. And, and he will talk to me. He was like, well, why not? And I was just telling him, like, you know, because I'm very focused on getting a job. Like, I was, I was getting a lot of anxiety. Like, I just I just can't sleep. And he'll just tell mm-hmm. me. Like, so he's like, you know what? Just do just do the basic. You don't have to do a full primary series like what Instagram or what the studio will expect you to do. Just wake up, do three sun citation A, three sun citation B, three finishing, and call it a day. That's it. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, the bare minimum. And for me, for some reason, like, I had this this pride or this ego that even when I was even though I was telling myself that I'll do three, I'll do up the standing series and do the whole finishing. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll just do this as my minimum for the day. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't get that feedback, I would assume that I'll have to commit the full hour and a half. And if I didn't, then I wasn't worthy enough to be in a shang. And I didn't want that mentality within, within myself because the mm-hmm. book even says it. So there really was no excuse not to practice at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's great. It's so good. Yeah. So good. How was it to receive like your first adjustments? What, what, uh, what came up for you? Well, was it like. He was, just, he was receiving adjustments from Guy in the private. No, with, with Guy, I had one private, I had like two privates with him. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. In sorry. person. But it wasn't in my sort of class. It was at his apartment. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's the reason why, that's the reason I don't, I, I didn't say like, oh, like my first, my first shallow, my first shallow experience was with Guy because. We're at his apartment and he invited me right. over where we did a private with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, but when I was with, but when I was recent, I felt the help and I understood how, and I was able to get to certain asanas that I never thought I could. Like, mm-hmm. like Pasasana. I can't perform Pasasana because I can't get my, my heels onto the mat. Yeah. So I yeah. have to go on my tippy toes as I do it. And I like to roll with the mat because I feel like it kills time and it also like disrupts the flow that I'm doing. So I'm like, all right, you're going to have to do it on your tippy toes, Mike. <laughs> but, but then Mike walked, walked my, he walked behind me and I was like, what is Mike about to do? Like, well, what is, is, is Mike going to say like, you, you know, that's, a, that's the worst Pasasana I've ever seen. All of a sudden he just, he, he, he's, like, he's, like, he's like, trust me, just, just, just lean back. And I was like, okay. I leaned back. He was able to get my heels on the ground. I was able to still hold into Pasasana. And it mm-hmm. felt like I was in the posture. But as I was in that posture, he was telling me what I needed to do in the future. So it was more of getting an understanding on the completed posture Mm-hmm. And how I was going to get myself there. So I see the adjustment more as, okay, this is the end point of what I can do within my body. Because he's literally showing me what I can do within my body through the adjustment. So now it's just the mission for me to know that, okay, you know what? That's the path that I need to get to. So that's my homework for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm it more as like, you know what? I'm feeling lazy. I need an adjuster. Come help me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a, I had a moment once with Michael's um, teacher, Kimberly, um, I was in India and I was practicing next to her um, and her husband at the time, Noah. And uh, I just, I was watching the, cause you know, you just watch people. That's all you do in my sort. And, and so I was just <laughs> that's watching. That's all I do. And I was watching them and I saw them roll up mats and stand on them in Pashasana. I said, Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Okay, cool. So, you know, I, I rolled up my uh, rolled up a mat so I could sit, I could sit on it in Pashasana and then I feel really secure and I could go and wrap myself around in Pashasana. And Sharat comes over and he's like, no. Don't do that. <laughs> but they did. <laughs> so if there's anything that that, that would well, help like you going. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Mike and Asana, I was going to get a block. Yeah. And he said, no, <laughs> no, no block, no block for you. But the guy, but the guy next to you might be able to get a block. So that's the thing is that sometimes these rules are different for different people. So 
you might you might see that going forward that sometimes the rules are different, different. Oh no, the way I look at it is more as the teacher sees more potential within a particular student who's actually uh, can do it. Like because because Mike knows that I do jujitsu, so I'm used to pain. Yeah, I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah. tell everyone, hey, like, hey, I'm a masochist, low key. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so when I yeah. for crunch asana, he was like, "You could do it. Just just sit on it. It may not be comfortable by first, but you'll get yourself adjusted to it." And I was like, "All right, I'll just do it." Even though it felt painful, I was like, "Mike, just pretend as if it's jujitsu." So mm-hmm. I just changed the perception for myself, and I was like, "Just breath, just breathe through it." And I was like, "Oh yeah, he's he's right. I'm just holding this for five breaths. So what am I complaining about?" Right. That's my mentality because he knows that I'm an athlete. Yeah, yeah. You have to know the student. You have to know the student and then look (laughs) at what they can do. That's really nice. That's really, again, very insightful and very perceptive about your whole, about what's going on, going on with you right now. It's it's super fascinating to talk with you. No, thank you. Thank you. No, jujitsu opened my eyes because as I was getting back from, as I was practicing with yoga and I was very deep with it, I looked back at at jujitsu and I noticed that None of the folks who are in jiu-jitsu are going to be able to do the same things that I'm doing. Right. So I'm not going to be able to teach them into doing what I'm doing when they're asking me, hey, I want to learn yoga too. So then from there, it's like, I need to understand body parts. I need to understand what people are really capable of. So I started to talk to my sensei. And my sensei now, we're actually discussing of setting up a yoga class now. Like, we're going to start setting this up on Sundays where we're going to walk the jiu-jitsu students through sun citations. And wow. you know, some people aren't going to be able to do it. Some people are going to be able to do it. So based off, based off like IT and corporate, like I'm setting up the experience almost in the sense that we're going to have the beginners in the back, similar to my experience when I had Bikram, mm-hmm. and then have the students who would be consistent or, or, or have been doing or have a knowledge with it in the front. So then the folks within the back who may get tired after three or, or so some citations can watch the folks within the front mm-hmm. and use that to motivate themselves. Because I was looking at seating process as well, too. And it's like looking at how Sharaf even does it the same way, where when he's hosting classes, he probably had the beginners in the back. So some of the beginners can watch the students who are continuously doing it. Yes. Of the class. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really exciting. Um, you know, when I first was introduced to yoga, it was through a modern dance teacher who introduced Surya Namaskara um, A and B as a way to warm up before the class and that kind of got me interested and and doing it on my own even like before I went for a run or after I went for a run and um she then would like teach some of the standing postures and that's kind of how I was first introduced to the sequence was through this modern dance teacher who over the course of you know our classes Mm -hmm. slowly like taught us all of the standing sequence we didn't go past the standing sequence um because it was just like a warm-up for the dance class so then we would like Mm -hmm. go into other things right but um I think it's a really beautiful way to um introduce people to the yoga and it's can be super helpful for you know all disciplines physical disciplines like jiu-jitsu or other martial arts or even you know dancing <laughs> and this is what i was explaining to eddie stern what i was talking to him the other day and i was telling eddie that that like with this practice we really need to keep this going within the future like i'm thinking of, like i'm looking at a stronger like five ten years down the line helping athletes grow and helping athletes recover to have like a, a better like recovery system when they retire from mm-hmm. this world. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, like, if the teachers can be hard on me, I'm not able to push on myself. Why can't they do that for athletes? Why mm-hmm. can't we expand on on our on our expertise and and start helping people who do need it? 
Mm-hmm. And that's where I wanted to add, to help with in terms of like what can be what can what can be a way where where like the teachers can collaborate and start working with start working with teams. Like we're all within the different parts of the world. I'm sure there's just different sports teams from those areas where we can all network and affiliate a yoga teacher designed like designated to different teams to where Ashanga Yoga is literally taking over the world again without <laughs> without without like the images of the past. Like we don't need that. Like my focus is more. How do we make Ashanga grow and make it essential? Because it really is essential. But I feel like only a little, a little people know it through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And so you're setting up a class with your sensei and you're going to be teaching other jiu-jitsu students. Or is there any other classes that you're teaching or what's in the future for you? Where are you? Where's your focus? What's happening next? For me, my focus is to continue assisting teaching. Mm-hmm. Until like five years down, until I fully feel confident to teach yoga on my own. Mm-hmm. But jujitsu is is has been like my pride and passion. So like my main goal is to actually retire being a jujitsu and a yoga teacher, being mm-hmm. able to have a facility where I can teach jujitsu and yoga classes as well. So and I have a passion for Bikram. So who knows? I might toss in a Bikram class. But <laughs> <laughs> but, but to me, like that that's always been my like my plan because I've noticed from from people that, that I that I used to talk to, like like my mentor, my early mentors, they've always said you need something to do after you retire, especially from IT, mm-hmm. and you get exhausted from it. You just want you're gonna get burnt out, but you need something to relax you. So mm-hmm. You need something that brings you joy. And I found out that jujitsu and yoga are the, uh, and the shanga yoga are the two things that brings me joy. Therefore, I want to focus on mastering those fields after I retire, so then I can be more essential and become more useful. I feel like right now, if I was to jump, if I jump in. Not only does it does it make does it not make sense because I'm still a student, but it also creates chaos in terms of in the sense that whatever I do is going to affect my future. So so I'm more cautious in the sense that I want to learn it the right way and also set a good example for others who are coming into yoga to where it's not like, okay, you need to be able to perform asanas to become a yoga teacher. I don't want that to be the perception. Mm -hmm. And I want the perception to be more of you have to bring something into the community and you have to create an impact into yoga in order to be essential for yoga or for you or to understand how yoga can help you. And that's the reason why I'm focusing on building this whole breakfast club because the breakfast club was the, the problem that I would notice within Instagram was that there weren't a lot of people that were being noticed or being seen that was practicing Ashanga yoga. And there were a lot of teachers that were teaching online that were providing like tools and tips that were being noticed within yoga, Ashanga yoga. So my focus was how can I create a community to where people can just get away from all the negativity and being able to actually generally meet people and, and see the inspiration behind it? And if they're able to connect with folks, maybe they might see, some, see somebody that's local within the area or they might have someone, hey, I have a buddy now that I can hold an accountability system with now where I don't need someone local within my area. Now, now they can. And now that we're in the social media network, now you don't have to feel alone practicing Shanga yoga. I knew someone that was in San Francisco who was who loved it, but no one within his area or his block knows Ashanga yoga, nor did they care. So mm-hmm. they didn't have like a good feedback towards Ashanga yoga or, or having him wake up six o'clock in the morning to practice yoga. So Ashanga Breakfast Club was essential for him. And for, from there, he was able to, to create his accountability team. And then from there, it was like, all right, now he's able to practice. He went to Bali, Indonesia. You got to practice more with, with a shot with a stronger yoga. There was a, a shala over in Bali where he mm-hmm. traveled to all through Instagram. And by creating this breakfast club, by creating this network, all this became possible. 
So I'm looking at it in the sense of not much of like trying to sell, like I'm not like, that's why I moved myself away from selling classes online. I was more focused on just being like a gateway, just being that guy who's being able to just connect people together. Like, hey, oh, you're traveling to Brazil where, you know, what? there's these shallows you can visit to in Brazil. Like there isn't really much isn't like that main hub anymore where it's like, okay, I'm an astronomy yogi. Where's the network? Where can I go if I'm in Ohio? Where can I go if I'm in Kentucky? Where can I go if I'm in Nevada? It almost feels like it's very competitive within Instagram. So because mm-hmm. of that, it almost feels as if like everyone is on their own. Yeah. Which shouldn't be the case. And which is why the demand is getting low because they're seeing so much chaos going on. They're not seeing the unity. When we're mentioning that yoga is unity, they're not seeing that. So, mm-hmm. so, so then for me, it's more like, all right, we got to show them something. So I'm, so that's why I do create this breakfast club. And I'm like, okay, we're not going to put classes within breakfast club because by posting classes, it's going to create competition. So by, but so by having people post like tutorial videos or, or highlighting their inspiration, it's going to create more of a genuine rapport within the folks within the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that Ashtanga Yoga Breakfast Club. It's such a fun idea. It reminds me of the Breakfast Club, which always <laughs> brings happy memories. <laughs> Maybe that's well, a concept, happy memories. Well, it, it reminds me of Nkrumah's Pan-African vision for Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I, I uh, we can we can have different approaches, Harmony. Um, I again, I, I I just want to thank you so much for your enthusiasm, and it's very infectious. And you know, Harmony and I can be a little, you know, a couple of cynical old dogs here, and it's really just fantastic to be able to look at this practice with you know be, uh, beginner eyes and beginner enthusiasm. And it makes, I feel like I want to go and do yoga now. So I just thank you for that. So we've, we've done our job, Harmony. We got yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> no, it is. It's such a, it's so refreshing. And it's so nice to just um, hear all of your insights and everything you've absorbed over the last, you know, couple years online, offline. And, um, you know, yeah, your heart for, for sharing this practice and also making it accessible and um, bringing different voices and perspectives and, you know, experiences into the Ashtanga yoga world and um, having it reach more people is uh, it's, it's awesome. It's so cool to just, you know, have that, that enthusiasm and that, that love for the practice coming through. So, so uh, brightly, vibrantly. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us, Michael. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to, like, to your community. Thank you for inviting me to your, to your podcast. Like, it's very meaningful because I never would have thought within a year, like a, a local kid from, from Newark, New Jersey, is going gonna, gonna to be end, ending up like creating an impact <laughs> on a social media network. I didn't think that was going to happen. And being able to make it on this stage to make it, through to your podcast, to talk to you, to talk to Russell is meaningful because it tells me that what I'm doing, I'm going through the right road and I should continue, continue where I'm at. So thank you. Absolutely. You should continue. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's super positive and it is making a huge impact. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's
shattered, watching the breaking.